absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. All right, so as promised, we're here with Mike Creed and Dan Urban, two caddies on the web.com tour. Get a little bit of background as how they got out here and how they got started in golf. So, Mike, give us a little background on how you got into golf, how you got started caddying. Um, you know, where did that all start? How did it all take place? Yeah, so uh, I was looking for a job out of college, um, and I have a background in phys ed. And where I live in Northern Virginia, it's pretty competitive for teaching. And I was on Craigslist one night, um, typed in golf, typed in caddy, and up popped this ad. Um, applied for it, interviewed for it, got it. That was five years ago. Um, so I, I primarily work at a TPC Potomac near Washington, D.C. Um, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, you meet some great people, get to, you know, be outside on beautiful golf courses. Um, and then this past summer, I was actually fortunate to caddy in the Quicken Loans uh, at TPC Potomac um, and had a great experience. You know, here you are with the top echelon of golfers. Um, and the caddies that I met that week, I was asking them, you know, how did they get their start? You know, what can I do to, to be where they are? And a lot of guys, you know, said to, to get on the web, you know, just work your way up. Um, and uh, after that, um, some of the members that I caddy for in, you know, USGA qualifiers and whatnot, um, I was actually out at the Maryland Open with a member doing that event as a caddy. And he said, hey, man, if you ever need to borrow any money, you know, if you want to pursue that, feel, you know, feel free to ask. So it was probably around mid-November, um, and I reached out to this member, and I said, hey, like, I'm actually thinking of really doing this. Um, and I was only really expecting him to, you know, kind of donate or loan me like five, six hundred bucks just to get going. And um, he sent me a text back, like, you know, give me a couple days, and... Um, a couple of days went by and I got a got an email from a list of people that he had reached out to through the club who I've caddied for, you know, at, at, at the club. And um, they had basically rounded up about $1,000 towards um, my expenses for the Bahamas trip um, in Exuma, which were the first two weeks of January. And another gentleman who I've worked for for five years matched the donation that they did. So I had two grand to kind of get me started uh, with the plane travel and expenses and whatnot. Um, so, you know, that was a huge, uh, a huge kind of, um, kind of building block for me to get started out here because I'm basically kind of playing with house money in terms of, you know, I'm not going to lose anything when, when I'm out there for, for the first two weeks if, if things don't, don't go right. Now, was that, is that like an interest-free loan, or were they just raising it and saying, here's our donation, you know, we want to see you make it, yeah, so, so go get it? Um, they're basically like, you know, we know that you're, you're, you're a capable caddy of, of being out there in that professional setting, um, and when I emailed 
each of these people back to thank them for, you know, their contribution, I was like, you know, please let me, you know, be able to, to pay this back to you at some point. And um, every email that I got was just like, you know, don't worry about it. You know, just go out there, pursue your dreams, you know, find a good bag and, and hopefully you make it to, um, you know, the PGA Tour. Um, so I'm sure at some point I will find out, you know, what member offered what amount and, and repay that. Um, but it was definitely, it was definitely a good feeling to not have to, you know, pay them back in six weeks time or two months back, just depending on, you know, down the road, you don't know what's, what's going to happen in terms of, um, you know, if you're making money out here or if, if you're not. Um, so it was comforting to know that, you know, I was able to kind of get started with, with, no real pressure, really, um, in, in that kind of financial situation. And now, Dan, his story, Mike's story, leads directly to you becoming a caddy as well, correct? Yeah, caddy out here on tour for sure. Um, I mean, I, I did club caddying um, for a solid season after I got out of the Marine Corps to see, you know, how much it would pay and to, and to commit to that for a full year with the support of my wife. Um and so I get a call from from Mike in, in early January, and Mike and I met through a mutual friend about a year, year and a half ago, when I just happened to go down sporadically after seeing my sister's family down to Kiowa, and uh, we're sitting at the bar at the Ocean Course, and uh, the mutual friend of ours overheard a conversation I had with uh, some guys at the bar about how I'm from Maryland and caddy out of Caves Valley. And uh, so our, our friend said, well, I'm, I'm, I live in Maryland, and I'm out of TPC Potomac as well. Um, you know, we got to talk and exchange numbers. Um, so that's how I started helping out at Potomac randomly on, you know, Monday outings. And if somebody was in a pinch and needed somebody and I wasn't working at Caves. And uh, so I get a call from Mike, and uh, he's like, hey, man, uh, we're down here in the Bahamas. And... Um, you know, we, we unfortunately missed the cut. We're sitting here at this bar, um, and uh, I've got Steve Wheatcroft here who, uh, you know, is sitting next to us. He's talking about needing somebody for next week at, at Abaco. Um, we know that you're serious about coming out here. Uh, you know, would you be opposed to talking to him and seeing what's up? And I said, absolutely not. Um, so within maybe like a five, eight, ten-minute conversation on the phone, uh, we had uh, – uh, I guess the pay figured out, uh, when I would get in, the percentage if necessary, if we make the cut, um, how soon could I be there, and within 24 or 36 hours, uh, I was down in Abaco on the course, charting it, uh, met Weedy, um, and just got a game plan together, and for me, uh, the guys on tour, I know exactly what they need, uh, just because I tried the mini tour thing myself early on. Uh, way before the Marine Corps, uh, and before the Marine Corps, I did the club pro thing for about four or five years uh, as an assistant, um, and uh, one thing just kind of led into another, and um, I think we were taking it week to week for sure, um, early on being out of the country, um, and then going on to Colombia, Panama, um, you know, there was a tournament in Florida we did together, and, and I think it's worked out well. We've made the cut together. He's made a little bit of money. Um, he's a fantastic guy to work for. 
and uh, it really has worked out well. But without that phone call, without that trip down to Kiowa at the Ocean Course and, and meeting our friend Dustin, um, you know, none of this for me probably is even uh, possible. Uh, you know, I had I had goals to get out here on tour, but my plan was a little more deliberate and thought out and putting myself between A and B, and um, it's really worked out well. So it's real interesting that you mentioned talk, you know, going into being a club pro, trying out the mini tours in the beginning. Uh, can both of you guys talk a little bit about your golf backgrounds, which I think makes you such valuable caddies out there? You know, you guys understand your players. You understand the game. You know what type of shots need to be hit in certain situations. How do you feel being, one, how do you feel being a good player uh, makes you a better caddy? And then two, talk a little bit about your playing ability background, if you don't mind. Yeah, so, um, you know, being in the Marine Corps and whatnot, obviously it takes a hit, so you got to try to get back to where you once were. But, um, you know, with a lot of hard work and whatnot and, uh, you know, some some yes you can go play from the wife and no you cannot you know you gotta <laughs> definitely uh you know use your time effectively but um I, for me it's like uh, i just know what they're thinking in competitive golf you know i i didn't do my try at professional golf very long and i wasn't very good to stay out there but to be out there in that that theater um you know you know what they're looking for you you know what they're thinking you have an idea of what they need to shoot um and, you know, with a veteran guy that I'm with now, uh, I'm not going to reinvent the wheel. I'm there to more or less, yes, that's good. Um, let's maybe think about this for a split second. And I'm, I'm pretty much, you know, he's obviously steering, steering the vehicle. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just there to maybe be more of a little chirp in the ear of positivity. Let's keep this going. Stuff like that. Um, and I think it really works out well. Um, a veteran guy is, is well-versed in how it works out there. Um, I'm, I'm just there pretty much to just help him out with what he's thinking and just to double-check numbers, maybe some help on the greens with a couple different lines, but he knows my background, and uh, I think he likes the mindset that I'm in of, you know, that military background, uh, you know, the the playing ability that I used to have or sometimes still have when I'm out there just dinking it around with my buddies um, and I, I think it just kind of works out well and I, I put a little different little different twist on it with maybe the way of thinking just because I'm regimented and detail oriented and stuff like that but um, like I said this is our fifth tournament together I think it's worked out well and um, you know it's kind of the, the, the way I put my little twist on it. Cool. And Mike, what about you as far as how you got started playing background and how you feel like that helps your player out there? Yeah, so my background is very different to Dan's. Uh, I grew up playing a different sport, and golf was something that I did mostly during the summers. My first job was at a country club where my boss at the time was a very well-known, is still a well-known uh, PGA pro, and he would have professionals come in for lessons and I did a lot of watching and just kind of observing uh, with what they did. Um, I played a lot of golf in the summers through college. And when I graduated college, I got into playing really competitive amateur tournaments. Um, me, myself, you know, my background in terms of understanding and, and 
when I first started the game, like I've never really had a proper golf lesson. Um, so it's kind of like a raw kind of talent for me. Um, so in terms of like the mechanics and whatnot, I'm probably, uh, I'm probably a little bit behind Dan in terms of knowing those certain things, uh, with players. Um, but with the experience that I've had through all those USGA qualifiers and especially being out, you know, last year on the big tour, um, I learned a lot. Um, and especially, you know, everyone watches golf. You get all those interactions with, with players and caddies now. Um, so like, I know, I know when the, when the right thing is to say something or whether, you know, just let the player do their, their thing. Um, but the, you know, almost three months now that I've been out here has been invaluable in terms of I've worked for three or four different guys. I've seen three or four different players play golf courses, walk them, kind of know what they want. Um, so I think having, having those different, different things to kind of pick through, I can do that with, um, maybe something that a different player did, but now this player kind of needs the same thing. Um, so overall, I mean, it, it, it it's a kind of, it's a game out here of always kind of, much like the players, you know, there's always something that you can work on, and you're always learning out here. And if I could elaborate on that, so Definitely. like last night, for instance, before the first round, like, Mike and I will go through the book together just to make sure that we're up on certain covers and yardages, and what did you see here, and what are you thinking there, and this and that, and Mike will bounce things off of me, I'll bounce some things off of him. And, you know, since the two of us have been out here since January, essentially the same tournaments um, together, uh, you know, we have a pretty good working relationship. And we've, you know, known each other for a year, year and a half. Um, but we're able, we're confident with each other's ability to be able to say, hey, I had this. And if I'm wrong, you can say, well, maybe I had something a little different. And to go off of that, really speaks volumes um and then once we're out on the course and the networking and the meeting other caddies and they know that the two of us are buddies and and the reputation so far through the three months they know that we're hard workers and things like that so they know that they can even ask us a couple things at this point um and know that it's not like a raw deal or something like that where it's not like credible information about either the course or who might need a roommate out on the road stuff like that do you guys see other caddies kind of buddying up with each other or like three or four, are there small cliques of guys that work together or is this kind of like just because your personalities mesh so well? I'd say it's a, it's a little bit of both, but it's just like uh, once you're out here and, you know, you're a familiar face, I mean, guys are going to say hey to you, you know, they're going to know who you're working for. Um, but as long as you're not some wild outlandish, you know, you're – you were seen making a joke of yourself or something like that. Um, definitely it, it is uh, a camaraderie out here because you, to stay out here for weeks on end or not even weeks, like months or a season on end, uh, I mean, you're a credible guy. It, you are doing something right. You're doing a few things right. Um, and guys can trust you for that. And I think I was talking to you yesterday about this. I treat every day like it's my first day and I'm not going to get comfortable with my player, right? Because we're all expendable, right? But if you're working well and the relationship's taken off, 
I mean, that, that's, that's definitely a good thing. I mean, you're, you're in that corner together. You're fighting through the course. Good days, bad days. Yeah, you made a great point before about the travel and being out here so long. So maybe you guys can touch a little bit about maybe the difficulties of, you know, having to leave family for weeks on end or maybe get into a little bit of the logistics. Because some of the questions we always get from listeners are, like, take us inside the tour, you know, because we see it on TV or we read about it on PGATour.com or we see it on Instagram and everything looks great, you know? Yeah. Um, but what are some of those problems that arise? I know you had a mishap in the airport at one point. You know, those kind of things. Like, how hard is it to plan out your schedule if you don't necessarily know what it's going to be in November or so? Yeah, exactly. You want to touch on that? Or you want yeah. To so, for instance, uh, the first week that I worked on the web was in the Exuma, in Exuma Bahamas. We're staying in an Airbnb. Uh, probably 20 miles south of the resort. So um, outside the country, they have shuttle services from certain spots that they will pick caddies, players up in, you know, kind of mini buses and drive you, you know, up, up, up to the course. In a group. Um, so <clears throat> the last day that we're in Exuma, we're flying to Abaco, and our buddy Dustin and I are... Uh, we're trying to catch the 7.30 flight to Abaco, and the host that owned our Airbnb couldn't pick us up because it was too early. We didn't want to ask her, you know, pick us up at 5 o'clock in the morning, you know, because we got to be at the airport at 6.30. <clears throat> so we are carrying our luggage in the pitch black uh, <laughs> down, down a dirt road, and then we get to the main road, and it's basically another dirt road. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> and we proceeded to probably walk a good 30 minutes to this shuttle pickup spot to get to the airport. And probably within like the last mile, we see these two dogs coming straight in our direction uh, from, a, from a house. And they're probably 10 feet from us, and all of a sudden they stop. And they must have gotten some sort of electric shock when they hit the, <laughs> when they hit the roadway. But I've never been so scared in my entire life rabid dogs and you know yeah here we are nobody around you know um it could have been protecting the cartel's house at that point yeah yeah for sure you know what's um, what's in the suitcase yeah logistically you know it the tour does a great job of of trying to do their best of taking care of the players and the caddies you know that can't afford to stay at sandals resort you know on site for sure um, but you know, it, it, every, everyone, everyone has, you know, you, if you want to rent a car, sure. But you know, if you're trying to save money, you know, here's the other option. Um, okay. So let me interrupt real quick. So does the tour give you airlines to use? Do they say like, okay, you know, we're going to be in Alabama next week. Um, here are flights to Alabama or here are the tours providers that will give you a discounted rate. Well, the tour will probably – they will most definitely offer that to the players. But I, I haven't heard of any caddy saying, okay. hey, here's a flight. Here's the discount rate, you know. Right. Maybe renting a car through Avis if you find the, the code that the players have, <laughs> you know. You, you might want to use that if yeah. you have access to it. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're basically on our own. Every, every tournament, 
trying to find the most reasonably priced way to get to the next site. Right, we're on our computers and there's like 17 windows open at the same time trying to like price check and double check yeah. and then what's about to run out and there's five seconds left if you're bidding on something crazy on you know eBay or which is probably not the case but like <laughs> Airbnb is real good uh, I know that the PGA Tours got their travel office you can call them they can help you out with stuff um, and that applies to the web too yeah abs okay. absolutely yeah. absolutely it's all under the same umbrella but um yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy how it works. When when uh, I got my first go at it and uh, I needed to be down there super quick after Mike's phone call initially, I mean, I, I was I was 13 in the hole from the start to with last-minute airfare. Uh, and it's just making sure you get that puddle jumper to the right spot, and then it's trying to get down there early so that you have enough time just to, to look at the course. But, um, you know, sometimes it can get a little wild. I, you, you may mention that I had a fiasco at, a, at an airport coming back from Florida, and, you know, I, it, it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm pretty busy and I'm, I'm walking the course and out there in tournament time and this and that, and you need some help booking a flight back home, and, you know, your spouse, God love her, she accidentally books it for the final round, and so you show up the Monday after the tournament and the airline's looking at you like, uh, hey, buddy, your flight was yesterday. Uh you still need to get home. What can we do for you? And then it's like, well, you've got so many hoops to jump through. And it's just, you know, the, the main thing out here is that expect the unexpected, number one. And number two, expect, you know, if you're looking to get out here and do this, and, and it, it's the nature of the beast, it's you're going to have unforeseen expense for sure. Uh, but if you're not all in, you're not thinking about that, right? You're thinking about the end state of where your player is going to finish and how to get them to the finish line. And, and here's a prime example of the nature of the beast. So a friend of mine who caddies out on the web, um, I think a month ago, his player was the first alternate for the Puerto Rico Open. They must have had up-team guys withdrawal or whatnot, and his player kept moving and moving and moving. And the Puerto Rico was the PGA. Yeah. Yeah, they so, did have a lot of guys withdraw that didn't want to go out there. I think it was, I think it was eight on right. the alternate list that made it. And I mean, if you're if you're near that first or second or maybe even third alternate, you're going to wherever it is and hope that, you know, there's someone missing their tea time or, or late withdrawal. So he flew all the way out to Puerto Rico and they're on the putting green at like 6.30 looking at the 7 o'clock tea times and everyone tees off and he basically lost money that week because... You know, they ha he had to be there for his player. Um, the same thing I remember, I think it was Panama. Zach Blair had to leave, you know, Utah where he lives, took four or five flights, took a red eye from New York, I think, all the way down to Panama, got there at like 5.30 in the morning, had a real early tea time. You know, and it's that's an example of it's not just the caddies, it's it's the players, it's the players too. Yeah, too. he had a, he had a 7, 8, 7 a.m. tea time. 26 hours of travel, yeah. shot one under Yeah, when he yeah, went there. I mean, that's, that, that is some, like, out of control, like, that's some of the things that's never even touched upon that nobody even knows, and it's just like the realm that we're in, and you get these stories on the putting green, and you hear banter on the range, and it's just, it's incredible. It's like some of these stories, it's like, it looks sexy as hell on TV, and, and don't get me wrong, it is. It's great. But uh, it's, <laughs> it can be wild. So what, what... People always ask, too, and I get this so often from people at work, 
or people that kind of follow golf a little bit but aren't like as deep as let's say we are. They're saying like, I wonder what those guys are talking about out there. Like, you think they're talking? They're probably talking about how he just hit a seven iron, 180. I'm like, well, no, because that's normal to them. Right. You know, just like you would talk about your car at home with like a normal person. Which I was doing today. Yeah, they they do the same thing. So, like, not necessarily, you know, specific guys out there, but what's the the banter? What goes on out there? Does it depend who's playing with who and how close they are with each other? Yeah, for sure. So, like, relationships of veteran guys with veteran guys or newer guys with veteran guys or new guys with new guys. I mean, it's all relative. But, like, today, for instance, a couple different holes, I, I was talking to Weedy about uh, last night he, ma- he made a, a chicken dinner for his buddy who's hosting him this week, and I, I wanted to get that chicken recipe because it sounded pretty good. Uh, so uh, half the hole or whatever, I'm, I'm trying to get this chicken recipe, which I didn't write down. Um, so I'm going to try to remember that. Uh, we were talking about uh, the Cowboys football. Um, I- I'm a Green Bay guy, so my, my Green Bay Packers have kind of been, you know, uh, change around their roster a little bit. And Jordy um, Nelson's retirement, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, we lost Cobb. Uh, Matthews is gone. Um, you know, so it's early, obviously, with everything that's going on in the off season. But, yeah, we, we'll talk football. We'll talk other sports, maybe some soccer, Mike, with, with you. Um, but, like, the main things with me is when we're out and about, like, where are the good places to eat? Um, how are your kids doing? Uh, I was talking about my car for a little bit because I'm a car guy. Um, just stuff like that. I mean, uh, you know, my background a little bit, I, I know stuff about birds and turf management. So I, I like a good lawn when I go home in case I want to hit a chip in the front yard into the street or something. But, you know, I, the birds here, before we did this interview, I'm talking about birds and I'm a bird guy. So I'm kind of a goof. But, um, you know, I. I think I'm a guy's guy, but we talk about, like, some random stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, you're out there for so long. Yeah. You know, you can only talk about a certain amount of things for, for so long right. before it turns to different things. I'll have to give my wife a shout-out because I have a Pennsylvania bird book. I have a North Carolina for coastal sure. section bird book, and I so I'm always doing that as well. Don't so forget I'm, about your waterfowl. Yeah. Your waterfowl. <laughs> so I'm with that as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about the herons and, and everything mm-hmm. before as well. The egrets. Yep. Mike, what about you when you're out there? What do you like to talk to your guy about or even people in the other groups? Or, or what have you learned from people just being out there? Yeah, it's different for me since, since I've, I haven't really – the player I'm with this week is the second event that I've done this season with him. So I've had two other players that I've worked for. Um, so obviously it's a lot of small chit-chat, sports, family, you know, girlfriends, um, and, and I think a lot of people don't realize that if you play one hole with a golfer, there's probably, I want to say, less than three or four minutes of actual golf talk. You know, from the tee shot to the approach, you know, to the putt, uh, there's so much in between time. Um, yeah. and, and you have to... For sure. You have to fill that, obviously, but you also have to kind of connect personality-wise, with your player. Um, so, for me, my guy this week is young. Uh, we're not, not as young, but we're similar ages. Uh, so we get on well. Um, and, uh, you know, they. it's almost like we're trying to distract them from keeping their mind occupied with, you know, 
you know, I've, I've got, oh, like, I, you know, I pulled my approach shot. Now I'm right, anything but the bogey he just made or yeah. the double or yeah. whatever. And it's hard, it's hard to say that for me, it's hard to say the right thing to the right player since I've been with different guys because, you know, some, one particular player told me, you know, if, if things are kind of going wiry, like he doesn't want any pep talks, he doesn't want, doesn't want me in his ear. So, you know, he told me that the last practice round before the tournament started, and, you know, I made sure not to say anything he didn't want because obviously you don't want to be out there saying the wrong thing. Um, and so I think, about that cupcake recipe. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, no. And it, it, it's um, it it's it seems like a lot of guys can get irritated with someone who talks too much. And there's guys out here that talk a lot. Um, and maybe that's just their type of personality and whatnot. Or they're nervous, maybe. That's yeah. the thing. You just know, nervous chatter. Nervous yeah. banter yeah. just yeah. because you, of where you're at. Because you got to think, again, it, if you have a guy who, you know, you're on a week-to-week basis, you know, at any point, you know, Friday afternoon if he misses a cut, be like, hey, you know, I enjoyed the last two events, but I'm going to go with someone else. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's tough whether you're – you know, you want you're on a, a this is like a one week deal where, you know, you want to impress the guy. He hope you hope he plays well with you on the bag, um, you know, so that you can get the next week. Because um, a lot of guys, especially at this point in the year, I mean, even though it's getting to April, you know, they want something constant. You know, the caddy is probably the most constant thing that they that they have to to their you know to access to. Yeah, and you're spending the most time with him opposed to almost probably anybody maybe next to his family, and that's only if the family's traveling yeah, with them. Absolutely. And, and now we're back in the States. So the constant is you're back in the States. You want a normal face, the guy you're comfortable with, on the bag. The locals, time for the locals is not necessarily out, but you want that constant, you know what you're going to get with your guy. This is the meat of the season right now. Right. So Yeah, we're bleeding into that. We've got like a two-and-a-half-week, three-week, maybe mini break, and then it's we're rocking and rolling. So you want to know that your guy understands the routine and whatnot and, you know, kind of go from there. Quick question, which you just made me think of. When the, when the web had their month off, you know, when nothing happened, are you guys both back at your prospective clubs caddying at that time? Um, well, since, you know, we're both from the similar areas, you know, Mid-Atlantic. it's pretty much frozen tundra still. So luckily, um, we, from, at, from TBC Potomac, we work for a caddy company and we have, you know, plenty of golf courses to go to, but obviously if it's, you know, mid February when we, when we had our break, a lot of the clubs are full. Uh, so my player was nice enough to reach out to the caddy master in January before we left for Exuma to set me up, um, you know, days that I can work, um, you know, when we're in that break. So gotcha. I went I went down to Miami and, and worked for the last, you know, five or six weeks, uh, which was great because, you know, had I gone back up north, you know, I could I could work somewhere, but I definitely wouldn't have been able to make the money that I did. You know, when it's primetime golf in South Florida. Right. Or uh, it's a grind because you've got a long hat on and gloves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So before I left for Exuma, I was working where I play golf, doing like golf carts, washing golf carts, picking range balls in like 35 degree weather. 
which was miserable. Fantastic. I was, ba- I was, I was <laughs> counting. That sounds down- <laughs> fantastic. The hose, hose is all frozen over. I was counting down the days from like probably a week before Christmas uh, when I actually got it confirmed that I was going to have a bag in Exuma, which is a, a different story that I can elaborate on too. Uh, but it was like pulling my hair out, like I was driving my girlfriend nuts because it, like, I was just miserable. You know, once you, if you're caddying year round, you know, it's nice because you're never really seeing, you know, snow. You get yeah. Nice weather. You're, you know, you're making money. You know, five six days a week. Following the summer. Yeah. Um, so yeah, but I was fortunate that you know my player was nice enough to do that for me. Because um, otherwise, I would have I would have been back up north for for a month. And I'm on the opposite end. I'm I'm at home. You know, my, my wife is uh, incredibly supportive. I've taken on this new role of, you know, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a shot. I need I need some help at home, and um, you know, I got two little ones at home. They're both boys. Uh, my oldest, uh, he's three. He loves the game, putt and chip in the house. We'll take him to our club, and everybody knows him. And he's he's crazy on the putting green, and he's he's awesome. Um, but for that break that you mentioned earlier. I mean, I'm, I'm at home, daddy daycare. Um, you know, I'm taking them to school three days a week. Um, I'm, I'm at home with the other one when the other one's at school and I'm, I'm on my hands and knees on the wood floor, scraping up spilled milk that's dried and, (laughs) you know, making sure dinner's ready after my wife's working 13, 14 hours. Um, and uh, just trying to hold it down and trying to get everything together at home so that she's kind of happy when I leave. Right. But when I leave, she's she's begging me not to go because it's just, you know, she needs that support. And I, I hate leaving uh, and I love the kids. But, um, you know, what's great out here is that I'm not out here for people think we get paid a lot of money. And, and sometimes you can. And, th- and that's it. You, you don't. Uh, I'm out here for the opportunity, and and I, I've talked to my wife about that, and she completely understands that. She knows how it is. She knows that she married a golfer, even though I was in the Marine Corps at the time. She knows my background, and, you know, the opportunity is why I'm out here. Uh, what could it lead into? And I, I love the fact that we're inside the ropes. I love the fact that, you know, I can take care of my player. Um and, you know, I serve my country, now I'm serving my player. And from that in the future, um, you know, if he goes a separate route with however he wants to take care of his family, um, you know, I'm just trying to make a name for myself and uh, everybody knows that, that Dan's a good dude and, and this and that. But I'm out here for the opportunity and where it could lead to and, and to go from there. But without the support home and the understanding and the help from friends who are helping watch the kids and stuff like that, um, you know, separate from Mike on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, it is tough to leave the family. Um, I was almost gone for a month during the out-of-the-states time frame early on. Um, but it, it, is, it is good. Uh, it is tough. Um, and that the opportunity is is what you are essentially paid in my eyes. It's it's not the glitz and the glam and the the days of pounding balls and if you have a bad day and the work that goes into it is what a lot of people don't see. We hear about it, but people don't see it. You know, when your guy's not playing well, there's not a fan crowd around the guy that's over par. You know, and that that's a lot to it. I also just kind of touch on the 
what Dan said about like what pe- the perception again of what people kind of expect like uh, like monetary money wise out here. There's probably I don't know what the percentage is, but most of these guys are probably going to break even on their year with what they put out money wise for to what, sure to what they get in. Okay, right. So again, you're looking for that opportunity, that chance to get a guy who obviously everyone's trying to get in that top 25 and then the next 25 in the tour championship to get on the PGA tour. Um, But, you know, again, if, if you're with a guy and a a player that you're grouped with knows that it's like a one or two week deal and he likes the way that, you know, you work uh, out on the golf course, there's every, there's every chance that that guy's going to come up to you at the end of the round and be like, Hey, you know, I need a guy for the whole season. And, and ask you to work for them. Well, guys let you know in the beginning, like, hey, Mike, hey, Dan, uh, you know, I want you for a month, and we're going to go on a trial basis. Or, you know, how does, that, how does that whole entire conversation or that interaction start with a player? So I'll, I'll speak to that because, uh, you know, shooting down last minute to Abaco, um, it goes back to what I said probably 10, 15 minutes ago maybe. Uh, I, I treat every day like it's my first day, like it's a job interview. Uh, I didn't know where it was going to go. And, you know, we had that three-week break, and now I'm in the, the fifth fifth event with Weedy. And um, I'm pretty fortunate to still be with him. He's a veteran guy. Um, he knows a ton. He knows it's my first, I don't know, however many tournaments, five tournaments five events. He knows it's my first five events. For him to keep me on the bag, not only does it speak volumes at what I may be doing right, um, but it speaks volumes to that player in the confidence that he has for the amount of time that we spend together. Um, on And off the course. Off the course is, is in our relationship, uh, very scarce if not non-existent, which is fine, but on the course. You're on the course so long, right? Practice, practice round, uh, practice after. Um, I mean, what would you say? Basically seven, eight-hour days, right? I mean, it's basically uh, a work or, day or more, or more sometimes. Or more sometimes. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in, in that aspect. And uh, early on, I, I didn't know if it was, it was one tournament deal, uh, get us through being out of the States, and I got a guy back home. Um, I know that he's had some other guys that have moved on and they're on tour now. Um, but like I said, I, I think I'm pretty diligent in what I do. Uh, but it speaks volumes to that player and the fact he's like, all right, well, I did well this week. I'm top 25. It looks like I got into next week. Uh, for instance, we finished out Abaco and he looks at me and Mike was actually right next to me. Um, and right there on the spot after scoring after the fourth round, um, he's looking at the schedule, his dates, and his phone, and this and that. He's, he's like, it looks like I got in next week. He's like, uh, on the spot, do you want to go to Columbia? I look at him immediately. I'm like, yes, for sure. A tenth of a second later, I think, I got to call my wife. <laughs> I just committed to going to Columbia. I'm going to Columbia. <laughs> the opportunity is there. You have to take it. You're right. out here. You've committed. For you to say, nah, uh, let me 
can I tell you, let me get back to you in two hours. It's like you're you're not fully all in. You're not committed. Like, right, because there's doing? someone else that might say yes right on the spot. But I'll why go to are you even out here for the first tournament? Right. Right? Like, go ahead. Like, come on. Let, let's see where this goes and, and get your boy through the year. He's got years on the big show. He's got years in the PGA Tour. If he does not take me back there, if if he were to get in, and I think we've got a very good chance, like, don't screw him over because you cannot commit to him. Right? Commit to him, see it through, and let's go ahead and do this. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great point. Um, so I got to ask this. So... I have one buddy that goes to PGA Tour events, and he'll be walking along the sidelines, you know, along the ropes, and swears to me that the players, the caddies, are looking at him, you know, noticing what he's doing outside the ropes. Is he wearing a tiger no, outfit? No, nothing. No, not he's in the field. He's wearing normal clothes, but he swears, like, hey, I saw Phil, like, he was making eye contact with me through a thousand other people that were there. How much do you guys notice what's going on outside the ropes? How much do the players notice what's going outside the ropes? And does it matter if there's a, a ton of people or if there's one person? Does anyone even care what goes on outside there? I'll speak to this real quick. I'll let Mike hit on this, but I'm, I look stupid looking, so people are looking at me anyway. So... Well, I don't know about stupid. You were looking a pretty, rocking a pretty <laughs> sweet fade golf hat today. Yeah, the, the the fade hat's pretty legit. They they got some fantastic shirts as well. Um, but Mike's pretty put together himself. Um, but yeah, people kind of look at me because I'm a little goofy looking. I'm tall. I'm lanky. I uh, don't always match. But um, Mike's a little more put together. Yeah, wait a minute. If, if Phil Mickelson is supposedly making eye contact with the guy outside the ropes. There must be a couple... He's a couple probably got huge of, calf muscles. Yeah, yeah. But he's also probably standing in between... Or if he's in between, you know, two pieces of eye candy... Right. That's what Phil's probably looking at. Yeah, I oh, mean... For sure. Uh, it's, it, it's... Yeah, I would say, like, guys, probably... We don't not recognize eye candy. Right. There. You know, it's just... It's part of it, you know? People love golf. It's warm weather. We're in the south. I mean, Savannah, Georgia right now. Yeah. I mean, it, the people down here are awesome. The food's incredible. Um, yeah. I can't say anything else. But I mean, it's awesome. If, if, if I were you, <laughs> I would tell your buddy to go to the next PGA Tour tournament, wear like a highlighter yellow T-shirt. Don't tell him that. You're telling him that. I'm not yeah. saying that because I want, he will. I want this guy to wear a bright highlighter yellow T-shirt and stand like – if he can gauge which, which direction the wind's going if towards he the green by the and, and be like, no, just be like a target line for the three players that are playing in this group, <laughs> that dude would get dabbed up so hard if he followed one group all 18 holes. So do players look, because you hear guys on TV, like I am a big proponent, like I'm, I, you know, you want to talk golf nerd, like sure. I subscribe to PGA Tour Live, right? I watch more golf than most people. Golf nerd, not golf dork. Golf dork is not good. Yeah. Golf nerd, nerd is, is cool. Better. We're yeah, good yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah, if you're a dork, you're out. Right. So uh, PGA Tour Live, you hear all these caddy player interactions, which I think are fantastic. And you guys touched on it before, how you've got to know what to say to your player and how, and Mike, especially you, what to say to different players, you know, and you've been with Weedy for a bit, so you kind of have a relationship there and you kind of know what he right. will like to hear and what he doesn't like to hear. Sure. But I love hearing the, the interactions 
uh, between the player and the caddy. And, and Mike, to touch on your point, you said that before. You'll hear guys say, hey, look, take it off the G in the Golf Channel Tower. So you're recommending to my friend um, maybe standing behind the pin on certain holes or, or lines off the tee. Yeah, li- well, lines off the tee for sure, but probably in particular like par fives that are maybe playing in the wind where guys need to lay up. You know, for instance, my guy today on a par five, we were laying up because uh, the wind was into us, and there was a guy out in, like a red shirt on his target line and, you know, visually, that's what player, you know, some players just pick that target. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm just going to swing it to the guy in the red shirt. He start walking? Yeah. Well, no, he stood still. <laughs> oh, okay. He stood Good. still. Good. He stood still. It was um, a mannequin. But, again, like, if someone, and I'm sure, you know, a group, of go- a group of golfers will pick up on a dude in a bright yellow, you know, in the perfect kind of target line areas uh, f- for them to, you know, to either – hit a tee shot into or an approach shot. Uh, but it would be interesting to see what sort of response, um, you know, he, he would get off the players. Even if he said, hey, guys, you know, did I do a good job of, like, you know, lining <laughs> you up through through the courts today? Right. It's like the state uh, police that wear the reflector yeah, vests, the yeah, state police. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of, especially, you know, not, not so much on, on the web tour, uh, you know, with grandstands and tents and whatnot, because they're only on so many holes. But like the PGA Tour, yeah, absolutely. Camera towers, uh, tents, any type of, of you know numbering or lettering signs. Uh, those guys are, are are going after that. And then you know, even more so on the golf course, you know, like um, you know bunkers and whatnot. A leaning tree. Yeah. Like this week, there's a tree with more Spanish moss than not. Um, you know, given, I mean, we've got some houses that are inset uh, off the hole in the trees. I mean, we might take it off of uh, a chimney. we got a northeast wind or something like that. Let the wind kind of bring it back. We know the carrier, the cover number. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely go off the crowd or a house or, or something like that, yeah. Now, when you guys are out there, and you made mention of this uh, before, with there not being many grandstands, uh, what what hole is it today that that Schooner's Cove is on? Is that number, number five? Five, five okay. Five. It's a cool, drivable par four. Yeah, water you know. all down the left. The water kind of cuts in. You got water greenside a little further left. You got a uh, bunker short right. You've got maybe I don't know twenty six, twenty nine, maybe even thirty one yards of fairway in between the bunkers, and there's a point point uh, short. Uh, it's like 246 off the back where, uh, you know, 246 is the point that starts to cut in. Um, and from there, it's like 32 yards, you know, to the center. Um, but, yeah, that, that hole's a pretty damn good hole. Yeah, that was very cool. And, and actually, if you're going to be out here, because uh, we'll post this tonight, if you're going to be out this week in Savannah for the Savannah Championships, go there because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, every birdie – there's a five-minute countdown timer that goes off, and it's dollar drinks. I've heard it, I've heard something about that. I cannot say it's yeah. it's that for sure, but I've seen people with numerous beers. Okay, well, and empty cups. We're getting confirmation from our host family that that is correct. There now, also on that hole, there's also going to be. Uh, Probably a handful of eagles too. There, yeah, I saw one today. Yep. Uh, it, I hope, mean, it's drivable. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, there were a handful of eagles out there today. Hopefully that, you know, they hook them up. Maybe do like an eight-minute shot clock. Uh, but it was funny. Uh, 
we were playing with Carl Yu today, who was a really good player, and we were talking about it as we were walking to the tee, how all three of the guys in the group made birdies. And, you know, what, you know, he was saying how they should get, like, you know, a couple shots or whatnot if everyone in the, in the group's birding it. Or there's a um, barbecue truck out there or something. Okay, the barbecue truck is beyond legit. That's you, where I – it was unbelievable. You were double-fisting sandwiches it was, or you just uh, got one? Just one. It was more okay. than enough. It was like lunch and dinner. It was spicy. You're like, you're like a snake. I don't think you're eating too <laughs> maybe, I don't know, Saturday morning. I had a big barbecue – Lunch yesterday in Charleston too. Yeah, so uh, I'll cut back on whenever I come down south, I yeah. will without a doubt indulge in barbecue. Um, so I want to ask you guys about this because you made a reference to it before, and I was thinking of it with the amount of bleachers and stuff that are out there. I always tell my buddies, and I contend that the guys on the PGA Tour on some holes have it easier with the galleries that are following and where they put the grandstands. And now you're actually starting to see guys bank it off some of the grandstands if they're in bad spots. Yeah. What do you, what, you guys are out there on tour right now. Like, is that, am, I, am I a moron or am I on to something? No, because, for instance, the 18th hole here at the course this week. <laughs> Nailed it. I talked to Stevie um, about it. Again, it wasn't my player, but another player in our group was, I don't know how far out he was, but he, he was talking to his caddy. Um, about the potential OB going towards this clubhouse where this white picket fence is. Because, um, you know, there's some areas around the greens that are better to be in, especially if you have, you know, a carryover hazard or whatnot, or the right side of the green is, is no good. Um, so he even asked my player if he had the rule sheet uh, to see if it mentioned, you know, no banking hole, yeah. that there's no OB towards, you know, because. It's a lawn area outside the back of the clubhouse, so if he really wanted to, um, could he shoot he, it in? He there? could have just hit a three wood as hard as he wanted to, and if it went through the picket fence, you know he'd still be able to chip it if it was in bounds. Um, as far as you know, grandstands, it's it's tough for us, or for myself, to say because I've never been in a situation out here with that. Um, but they obviously give us that rule sheet that will dictate, you know, if a, if a certain area or a certain hole that has a grandstand is considered OB, um, then obviously they'll make note of that. Uh, but, you know, a lot of these guys out here are always always trying to play, you know, to get that little bit, little bit extra. That little bit extra. Sure, sure. Um, and everything's kind of situational. Um, so it all depends on how, how the, the course is set up, but also how those grandstands are set up, too. Um, and I'll touch on that for sure. Grandstands have been around for such a long time. And they've been given the course design and the space available. Some courses will switch their nines because, say, the ninth hole has got more space. And they just have to right, make Right, it it's a, a better finishing hole. Exactly. Or, uh, you know, they didn't think potentially that the course might get a tournament. And they did. They bid on it and they got it. So officials come out, they look, and they say, well, you know what? It's a great venue the way it's set up, uh, 1 through 18, but if we switch the 9s, 9 would be a better finishing hole because of X, Y, and Z. Or we can put more grandstands here and there. Um, this week, for instance, um, you know, behind 18, given the wind direction or whatever, there's a lot of marsh down the right-hand side. So if you, if you can get it down there, uh, left center, and you've got a favorable wind or in between clubs or whatever, uh, you know, the grandstands and 
and the uh, the mesh netting that's on the grandstands because they're probably I don't know six eight ten feet off the ground and then yeah. you get into where the actual foot of the patrons are right the flooring right. yeah exactly the flooring you might have a guy and it's not a local rule of not being allowed to do that but to be honest I've never seen a local rule of like there's no bouncing off the grandstands um, you know the grandstands are set up in sometimes limited space is what I'm getting to. So if it just so happens that your player is actually trying to get on the green and two on a particular par five and the angle of the green and the runoff and this and that, I mean, sometimes it does happen that it bounces off. Other times, if it's not a local rule and, and the officials know, uh, the, the player 100% should not be penalized for that because it, it's, it's tournament conditions. Yeah. You know, um, the picket fence thing and where people are standing, it kind of falls in line with where those pavilions are. It's like, well, it's, it is what it is. It's not normally there. I mean, you, you should get a free drop because if you hit a perfect shot and you catch a gust, I mean, you could get a ball that's 30, 40 yards off line and goes left and you're inside that standing room only, beers, hot dogs, barbecue, <laughs> whatever. Um, it should be a free drop just because it's, it's stuff that's not typically there in that space when all that is not around is open area. Yeah, gotcha. All right, we'll get you guys out of here with uh, two last questions. Uh, let's go with maybe the craziest story that you're allowed to tell that you've seen out there while caddying or maybe the crazy, you know, it, it could be a crazy shot or, or, or anything. Um, and then best part about being out there day in and day out on tour. You want to go first or you want me to? Well, I think we're going to tell the same best story. Okay. I'm not sure if Dan can... can... Well, I'll, I already know what you're going to go off of. I'm, who who I'm can gonna... more eloquently put it? You're a better storyteller <laughs> than I am, but I've got another story that you weren't, you okay. weren't around for. So, so I'll, I'll, go, uh, I'll go back to Abaco. Uh, I, had, uh, I had missed the cut with my player, unfortunately. And uh, my buddy and I went out to watch uh, Dan and Steve play. And it's the last day. It's Sunday. We followed them for probably the first seven or eight holes. Went back. Went back to um, the clubhouse to get Wi-Fi, whatever. And uh, proceeded to kind of walk towards uh, kind of not the exit, but we knew the 14th hole was closest to the uh, shuttle pickup spot. So we watched them play the hole. And my buddy and I were like, eh. You know, let's, let's get out of here. We've been here, you know, three or four hours already. So we proceed to get down to the shuttle pickup spot, um, which is like a little, like a, like a mini clubhouse almost. I pull my phone out, and my Wi-Fi picks up again. And Dan sends me a text uh, that says, this player uh, needs a caddy on 15 ASAP. So I looked at my phone. I ran out of the clubhouse. Did you say it was the final round? Yes, the, the final round on a Sunday. So a guy playing in the final round on Sunday needed a caddy on the 15th hole. On the 15th hole, yep. Out of control. Uh, Out of control. So I find the... Uh, I don't even think we've told you this story. I have not. <laughs> so I find the nearest volunteer who has a golf cart to drive me up to this hole because you go up probably the steepest part of the golf course to get to the tee box. I get to the tee. I don't see Dan... And I'm like, all right, they got to be on the green because it's a straight downhill par four. So I'm running down more or less the center or, like, down this hazard line uh, 
I get to the green, and I'm like, Dan, what's going on? And he's like, dude, this, this player's caddy booked a flight for like 5 or 5.30. It's 3.30 <coughs> in the afternoon, right? The, of the final day of the round. Yeah. And Dan's like, I think he's going to drop the bag at any minute. So Just walk off the course. He's got to catch a flight. <laughs> yeah. Eat the cost. Like I said, you're not out here for, for the pay. So I, I watch them play. I, I watch their tee shots. And this guy's player, like, hits it way right into this quarry hazard. And the caddy kind of, like, points to me, like, almost like a, like a, a tag team sort of deal. I'm going to tag you in. And it's, it's a cage match. I'm, I'm, like, walking next to the caddy, and he's like, he's like, yeah, not right now, not now, not now. So he's walking down the hazard line. They walk down in this quarry, and I follow them down because I'm thinking if the guy drops the bag, who's going you know, to carry it up the, this, this hill? Probably the score. <laughs> yeah, somebody. So the player hits his shot out of the quarry, makes a bogey. He, I, can, I can visibly tell that he's irritated. And the caddy is, like, freaking out to myself, who I don't know him. Uh, another caddy who is, is kind of following the group, asking for advice, what to do, blah, blah, blah. And they finish the hole, and the dude's like, yeah, I got to go. He, dro- <laughs> he, he, drops, he drops the bag. Sur- surreal. Drops the bag, gives me the bib, runs off, and around these bushes, and he's gone. Gone. And this player is like, wow, did this really just happen? And I'm like, hey, man, nice to meet you. I'm Mike. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's birdie in. Yeah, and we, we got, got two, 16, or sorry, 17 holes. and 18. We got two holes to go. You know, let, let's <laughs> birdie, birdie in. And obviously this caddy is freaking out over the cost of a flight, you know, if he eats it and has to reschedule for the next day, you know, what, you know, what, what that is. I mean, I don't know what he was thinking. Um, so, yeah, the, the player... Uh, goes par on a par three and birdies a par five to finish tied for 11th place. I think he took home like 13 grand. Um, and I'm in his ear, you know, in the fairway on 18, like, you know, hey man, I know that I know this guy just picked you up for this week. You know, I, I would love to go to Columbia <laughs> with you because for me, I'm trying, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find a, a regular guy out here that I can go the whole season with. And um, we finished around. And we took down my number, and uh, great, I, great guy, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I texted him the next day in the airport, like, "Hey, I'm looking at flights. You know, can, you know, what's your situation?" And he, you know, he gave me some spiel, like, "Oh, you know, I'm just going to take a local, blah blah blah." And um, <laughs> he, for the two holes, right? Because I don't know who else would have carried this bag for him. He didn't pay me one dollar from what he had earned to essentially help him out. He L two canned you. Yeah, I mean, like it, it wasn't nothing was ex, nothing was expected. Right, but just to give just to throw yeah. you something, I mean, yeah. for helping out. Because yeah. again, another small story, another player's caddy. The start of the third round, same event. They had a break in between finishing their second round from the previous day. They had like a two and a half hour break. So the <laughs> caddy goes out into the ocean in a kayak, right? And I guess lost track of time. Got. <laughs> The waves took him away. 
And you gotta watch out for that low high tide. Yeah, Sucks <laughs> you out to sea. The caddy misses the tea time, and my our buddy Dustin, because he's out in the ocean. Yeah, well, I guess we're putting <laughs> maybe we, we didn't have. It's not like the coast guard was there to do what like air the? rescue, but we weren't sure where he was. We just knew that he was the kayak was actually back. They people saw him come back, but he was he was MIA. So our buddy Dustin texts calls nothing is over at the driving range and I guess was talking to this guy like yeah where's your caddy oh I don't know well he needs to start the round so Dustin picks up the bag walks maybe 300 yards down the first fairway and then you see this guy kind of running adjacent to him you talk about Usain Bolt yeah down um, the fairway the the caddy got to the bag but the player is nice enough to give Dustin a hundred bucks because obviously he was there yeah. That's a good dude. Um, I'll tell you what, 100 bucks for 300 yards yeah. worth of work? Yeah, that, that's, <laughs> that's pretty good strong. money if you that's can get it. Strong. Um, so, yeah, those are, the, those are the two best stories that I have. Um, but just seeing, you know, the, the expression on, on Weedy's face and the other player that was with us, they were both like, wow. For that, both of those players had been on the PGA Tour, um, and it's like that would never, ever happen for the bag that was dropped. The yeah, I mean, that that's a tin cup situation, you yeah. know, where he's like, hey, grab my bag, you right. know, and yeah. he, he follows in. Uh, Dan, what about you? Uh, it was it was fairly recent, um, and it, it was with a player that's got a win out here on the web, and uh, it, was a, it was a great win um, and well-deserved because he's, he's a great guy, great player. Um, you know, from, from, time to, from time to time, guys do get frustrated out here, and, and clubs are kind of – you know, browbeat and tossed a little bit and, and this and that. And uh, the last tournament, we were we were down in Florida, and I was actually talking to Weedy about this. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, it was one of Weedy's really good friends, but, they, you know, we've all played the game, and, and sometimes you just can't make a putt. It's just you get a lip out. You get a burn the edge. I mean, you're so close, and in those situations – stay the course, the putts will start to fall. You're giving yourself looks, this and that. Well, we happened to be on a par five, and I think at this particular venue they had switched the nine, so um, I think we were on one, which was their ten or vice versa. And uh, it, it had gotten to the point where, you know, it, it was the putter's fault, and it very well may have been. I mean, I, I you know, it's hard to put a camera in the garage, but I've done it. They, they just don't listen. And uh, we were on a par five, and the player hits his tee shot, and uh, we're about 30, 40 yards off the tee box, and, you know, it's a par five. In this day and age, they're like 580, 560. I mean, they're deep. And uh, the player takes the putter out of the bag, and again, we're 20, 30, 40 yards off the tee box, takes the putter out of, his, out of the bag, takes the putter head cover off, and just takes it by the grip and just underhands the putter. And you get the <laughs> down the fairway. And it's, dun, 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 dun. you know, you get the vibrating in the shaft. And it's a fairly long putter. You know, it's it's longer than 35 inches. So when the thing is thrown underhand and you got the weight of the head, the thing's definitely kicking around. Walks up to the putter where it lands, picks it up again. <laughs> underhand by the grip, putter down the fairway another 20, 30 yards. He does this to his tee ball, gets the number from his caddy, hits a shot just, just short of the green. And the guy had been striping it all day, just couldn't make a putt. So the only thing was was the uh, the, the putting in the short game. And, uh, again, same thing. After his approach, 
grabs the putter down the fairway. That's fantastic. And so we're we're getting close to the green here. Weedy's hit a shot, and uh, we're getting close to the green. We're probably a buck twenty out, and uh, at this point, we're we're laughing. I mean, we're laughing. The guy's on his own. He's muttering to himself. <laughs> the, the putter's taking a beating, and uh, we we can't stop kind of giggling. And the player kind of looks over at me, and uh, he he hands me the putter or wants to hand me the putter. He's like, hey, you want a shot? You want to try? I mean, it's actually pretty fun. He's like, you want to go at it? I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And uh, I don't know if he made the putt or not. Probably didn't. But um, he now has a win out here. It, it's well-deserved. Um, he, he got a lot of inspiration uh, from uh, – the, the tournament at TPC Sawgrass. And, um, you know, it's just one of those stories where you've got travel. you got stories with travel. you got stories with debacles earlier on with shuttles. Um, the putter's not making putts. Um, you, you see it out here, and, um, you know, it, it's not too far off from amateur golf uh, where you, you have outstanding days. You've got days where nobody would believe what happened. Uh, you've got horrid days where you're just ready to get off the course. Um, so I would say for sure th those are the best two stories that we have in, in the probably three months that it's been. Those are pretty fantastic. I will just add as well, from being a club caddy for X amount of years to now being out here in this setting, there is, um, like, you want to be out here as often as you can, and when you're away from it, you almost, like, kind of pine for it, like, you know, the, the month that we had off, it's like, you know, get me back out here. Because, you know, club caddying is very, you know, people are great. You know, you, you run into some great people. The golf is obviously way up and down. But nothing beats being out here in a professional setting with, you know, very, very good golfers. World-class athletes. And, and the information that you're telling them is absolutely crucial to every single golf shot. Um, so, like, there, it, nothing beats being out here now compared to the club caddying stuff that Dan and I have both kind of kind of been through for a couple of years. So hopefully we remain out here and, and both hopefully end up on the PGA Tour at some point in the future. Yeah, very cool. And if, if anyone's coming out, like I said, to Savannah this week uh, at the Landings Club at Deer Creek Golf Course and you see Dan or you see Mike, uh, you know, make sure you definitely say hi to them when, when they're out there. We're yeah. both going to have fade golf hats on, too, all the way through the weekend. So be sure that's the easiest, that's the easiest point to, uh, to give us a wave or give us a shout-out. Yeah, for sure. Um, check out fade golf. Uh, very simplistic style, but very eye-catching, great colors, uh, good schemes. The hats are great. Uh, check them out on Instagram, uh, fadegolfandstuff.com, and uh, – yeah, come on out, check out the venue. It's a Fazio course. Uh, the hosts are outstanding for us this week. Um, the The venue is, is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. And uh, maybe a barbecue sandwich in the future for those coming out this week. Hell yeah, hell even yeah. Even for the host here. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for everything. Good luck out there this week. Thank, thank you. you Dan. Thanks for having us.